for Thursday, January 7th, 2020. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, transporting COVID-19 vaccines is a little bit different than shipping most consumer products. You don't have to keep a coffee maker at negative 90 degrees Fahrenheit. It's okay if you break one because, you know, there aren't thousands of other people clamoring for a coffee maker at the same time. Dr. Bruce Y. Lee, professor of health policy and management at the City University of New York, joins me to discuss the state of the U.S. vaccine supply chain. That's next. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. It's no small feat to get any product from where it's made into a consumer's hands. Getting a COVID-19 vaccine into someone's arm is even harder. So says Dr. Bruce Y. Lee. He's a professor of health policy and management at the City University of New York, where he's the executive director of FICOR. That stands for Public Health Computational and Operations Research. He's with me now to discuss some of the challenges of building an effective vaccine supply chain and the current U.S. rollout of COVID-19 vaccines. Dr. Lee, thanks for talking with me. Happy to be here, Sam. Let's start by talking about what a supply chain is. People may have heard this term before in the context of, say, a commercial product, say something they order off Amazon. But now we're thinking about it in terms of vaccines. So lay out what a supply chain is in in general and kind of how it is so crucial to getting a vaccine out to people. So, Sam, a supply chain is basically the complex system of steps, processes, personnel, equipment, vehicles, locations, and other products that are involved in getting a certain product from its origin, which is frequently the place where it's initially manufactured or developed, all the way to where the product is actually going to be used. So when we're talking about a vaccine supply chain, we're talking about the complex system that's involved in getting vaccines from where they are manufactured. So you have manufacturing facilities all the way to where the vaccines are actually going to be administered. And that includes things like pharmacies or health clinics or hospitals or you know potentially schools or workplaces. And it not only involves the vaccines, but it also involves everything that is required to administer the vaccine. So that includes needles, syringes, potentially things like gloves and other personal protective equipment, uh, and maybe even things like alcohol pads. 
Getting these vaccines developed as, as quickly as they have been has been a really monumental feat. And that really breaks down, and I think, to a couple of different parts. You have kind of the science that goes into developing the actual vaccine. You have the public health messaging campaign to get people to trust it. And then you have this logistical part of it, making sure that the vaccine can get to people. How big of a part is this here? Is is distribution the really fundamental thing that we need to have in place to make sure a vaccination campaign works? Yeah, distribution is essential because no product can do anything unless it actually reaches the people. Uh, so you can come up with the most effective vaccine that you can develop. And if it doesn't reach enough people, then it's not going to have its effect. And it's often neglected, but it's essential to have a functioning and good supply chain. Assess the state of the U.S. vaccine supply chain. I mean, are there gaps? Are there big holes? Um, or are, are things ready to go for this current vaccine that's being rolled out? Well, all indications are that the uh, vaccine supply chain has not really been working very well in the United States. Uh, there's been major problems. So if you look strictly at the data, you look at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention uh, COVID-19 vaccine tracker, and you'll see that by the end of December 2020, everything fell far short of the goal to vaccinate 20 million people by the end of the year. So if you wanted to vaccinate 20 million people, that means at least 40 million doses had to be administered, and more than those should have been uh, delivered to the states. Plus, you're hearing all these stories of governors complaining that you know, they were given certain numbers in terms of vaccine doses that were going to be distributed in December, and those numbers were abruptly cut. And then there's all these other stories about many healthcare professionals going unvaccinated or, you know, even stories of people getting texts and saying, oh, you know, there's a vaccine that's available for the next two hours, come down, et cetera. So this all speaks to a lack of organization and a lack of uh, really a comprehensive functioning supply chain to get these COVID-19 vaccines out there. Whose responsibility is that to ensure that this supply chain exists? I mean, I think about these two vaccines we have currently available here in the States. Uh, Moderna's vaccine, which was developed in coordination with the government and Operation Warp Speed, and then Pfizer's vaccine, which wasn't. Um, that's important because Pfizer is taking much more of a lead on distributing these vaccines, whereas with Moderna, the government is playing a larger role. So even with two vaccines, there's potentially two different distribution networks. Who really should be looking over all this to make sure that it's working? Well, this highlights one of the major problems with the vaccine supply chain right now. Uh, it has to be organized at a national level to basically say, okay, well, we're going to distribute it to the states and then let the states handle it from there on. Uh, I think it's extremely problematic. Um, I use the analogy of a head coach running out onto a, a football field with uh, his or her team and saying, okay, each of you just do whatever you think is right. You know, the chances of the team winning are very low. Similarly, if you basically just tell the states, okay, just handle it how you think you're supposed to handle it, uh, it's not going to work because everything has to be organized and coordinated together. And if you have multiple manufacturers, regardless of whether you actually uh, help with their research and development or not, uh, you need to incorporate them into the overall national plan. So if Pfizer had less of involvement in Operation Warp Speed in the beginning, that doesn't mean you shouldn't include them in the national plan. And the trouble is we have not heard of a very clear national plan for distribution. That should have been developed like months in advance and 
clearly communicated to all the states and everyone, including down to the health professionals who would be giving the vaccine. And we just have not seen that. You know, and I want to touch on a few other kind of specific challenges. The lack of coordination, the lack of a national uh, kind of plan is, is certainly one. But some of these are maybe things that people might not think about. The very ways in which vaccines are packaged, the kind of batches and, you know, how big those batches are, how those are sent out. Talk to me about some of those more kind of practical challenges that these supply chains face. Yeah, we have to remember that it's a, it's a complex system so that even small changes in different parts of the system can have reverberating effects. So, for instance, if you change the number of doses per vial or you change the size of the packaging, that can really affect many different things, especially if you have a limited amount of uh, freezer space. So say you only have a certain amount of freezer space and you make the packaging for a vial twice as large. Well, then you're losing the amount of available freezer space by half. And then if you can't have enough freezer space, then you create a bottleneck and basically vaccines can't flow past that point. And the number of doses per vial, for instance, we're always concerned about how much vaccine wastage occurs. Vaccine wastage occurs when you break a vial or you leave a vial open accidentally and expose it to you know, room temperature. And therefore, that means you have to produce a lot more doses to fulfill the number of doses that you need to give to people. You know, these are all considerations, details that then affect the operations of the entire supply chain. And we have to keep in mind that in other areas, like other supply chains, you know, people think about this very intently. You know, the packaging, you know, how you design packaging is really important in many other fields. So it should be very important in the uh, vaccine field as well. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? I'm Sam Whitehead talking today with Dr. Bruce Y. Lee. He's a professor of health policy and management at the City University of New York. We're talking about the state of the U.S. vaccine supply chain. You mentioned uh, freezer space. That gets me thinking about the particular uh, kind of conditions that these two vaccines currently available here in the U.S. need. The Pfizer vaccine in particular, which needs very, very intense refrigeration to remain viable. Talk about that as a challenge here for these vaccines. And, and is that something that these supply chains have to deal with, with, say, other vaccines, maybe the flu vaccine? Yeah, we have to keep in mind that even when we're talking about quote-unquote, traditional vaccines, like the flu vaccine or the measles, the MMR vaccines, you know, those require refrigeration. And even the existing supply chains many times don't even have that capacity. So certainly if you go to you know, a major health center in a major city, they'll probably have enough refrigerators to keep vaccines. But if you're talking about you know, a health department in a, maybe a rural area or low-income area or then they may not have enough refrigerator space. So that's with just the traditional vaccines. Add on top of that the situation we have with the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, where, as you mentioned, it requires even more stringent storage requirements, so negative 90 degrees and colder uh, Fahrenheit. The existing equipment can't maintain that type of temperature, so you have to have specialized equipment. You have to have dry ice, and you have to have freezers that can maintain that deep freeze. And again, that may be available in major places or major labs or what have you, but certainly not in your typical clinic. So how do you compensate for that? So you have to order new, new freezers, you have to order dry ice and those things like that. And that requires preparation, that requires lead time, and that requires resources. 
And there are many counties that just don't have those resources. You know, public health departments are stretched. Uh, county health departments are stretched. So really, the only way to organize and, and mobilize such resources is at a national level. You know, there are few products that I can think of in, in my lifetime that have maybe been uh, so coveted, <laughs> but it seems like waste of some kind is inevitable. How much waste should people expect? Because I imagine that with any supply chain, you're always going to have some percentage of your product that along the way, just for some reason or another, spoils or doesn't make it to the end. Absolutely. Wastage is going to be part of any supply chain. And when it comes to vaccines, we talk about two categories of wastage. And I alluded to some of this uh, previously, but the two categories are one, closed vial wastage. So that's when you can't use doses before the vials have actually been opened. So what happens if you drop or damage some of these uh, vials while shipping? Or what happens if some of them get exposed to room temperature because you lose power? And then there's open vial wastage. You're, you're in the clinic or you're in a vaccination location and you say, okay, I've got two people arriving, but I either have to turn them around and say, okay, we can't vaccinate you right now, or I open a five-dose file or 10-dose file, knowing that you can only use two of those doses. So in that case, then you potentially can waste maybe three or, or uh, if it's a 10-dose file, uh, eight of those doses. So then the question is, okay, what is a reasonable amount? Because you're going to have some degree of wastage. Well, certainly you want to minimize that as much as possible. Uh, but how to determine the, the reasonable amount is, well, what's the minimum that you can do that's uh, possible? And how does this relate to the price of the vaccine and the production capability? So if production is short, then every amount of wastage is bad. Uh, so if you're, if you're wasting vials at like a 10% or 20% clip, that's a lot, uh, many doses that's really going down the tubes. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention did a call this week where they were talking about the vaccine rollout. And, you know, you mentioned these these figures earlier. The federal government had hoped to get 20 million doses administered by the end of December. Um, as we're talking now, um, that number is just under 5 million. And a CDC official on this call said, hey, we did this, started this process two weeks ago, uh, just before the holidays. We're really hoping that this pace picks up moving forward. With all these challenges that this supply chain faces, are you optimistic that the, the United States will be able to get its act together and really start rolling out these vaccines quickly? Well, you look for evidence of addressing some of these issues or problems. And one of the problems that I saw in December is when you started hearing these complaints about the expected doses being cut significantly. And then there's there was the story about how it was difficult to get an answer or a response from the uh, Secretary of the Health and Human Services. That makes you question whether like these changes are being made and how quickly they're actually being made. Because you want to see rapid response. And also you want to see a situation where uh, things are being very transparent. You say, okay, this was the mistake that was made. This is how we're going to fix it. I think that's a sign that a system's in place that's adaptable that will then uh, address these different problems. When you don't see that, that makes you concerned that uh, things can't be turned around. And it should be a situation where, you know, different people are pointing fingers at each other and saying, oh, you know, it's, it's this person's responsibility, this person's fault, because that's passing the buck. 
You need, everyone needs to take responsibility and say, this is how we're going to change it. So until that actually happens, that makes you question the you know, optimism about how this rollout is going to occur. So that's the first thing that has to happen. Open communication, open, transparent communication. I think the way that no people might normally think of the supply chain is they place an order on Amazon and these days it potentially shows up on their doorstep within a day. But there is this vast, complex network that they don't really see that goes into making that happen. How do you get people to pay attention to supply chains when that's their normal interaction with them? They don't normally pay attention to them to start with. They just know they can you know, see the results of it, things showing up quickly on their doorstep. Absolutely. And that's, that's an assumption when it comes to things like the vaccine supply chain. I think people don't necessarily realize how complex this is because you have that experience of like, I order something off Amazon and it arrives tomorrow. But we have to remember that vaccines are not the same thing as like a pair of socks or, you know, a, uh, a coffee machine or things like that. It, uh, these are very different. And you're also trying to vaccinate like large percentage of the population, preferably as many people as possible. You never have a situation where you're trying to get as many people as possible, a coffee maker, uh, you know, within a certain amount of time. So the challenges are completely different. So you really have to sh look at the scale of this endeavor. Very, very different. You have to show that how it's really different from the existing expectations with products. And you, and you really have to clearly communicate that when it comes to vaccines, you know, here are the challenges. You don't have to keep a coffee maker at negative 90 degrees Fahrenheit. It's okay if you break one because, you know, there aren't thousands of other people clamoring for a coffee maker at the same time. You don't have a situation where you're delivering products to a specialized person. Everyone needs these, and everyone needs these very quickly. So really highlighting these differences, I think, is very important because there can be a tendency to try to compare across products and say, oh, why is it so difficult? You know, I, you know, I can get the cough maker. Why can't I get the vaccine? If the supply chain fails uh, for this particular vaccine, what does it mean for the course of the pandemic? Well, several things. One is certainly if a vaccine is not delivered, it can't prevent COVID-19 in, in people. So people will continue to be at risk. Uh, the other issue is the longer we delay, the less of the impact the vaccine will have. So we don't know if the vaccine will actually prevent the spread of the virus. We don't know that to, to what degree we do know that the data suggests that it can prevent uh, symptomatic COVID-19. But the longer you wait, the more widespread the virus becomes. The more widespread the virus becomes, the more difficult it is to control. And the more difficult it is to control, the less the impact of the vaccine will be. And the less the impact, the longer we might have to wait and continue our current situation with the pandemic. So we'll have to continue to rely on all these um, non-pharmaceutical inventions. We'll have to continue to rely on face mask use and, and all those things. We will still continue to rely on those things even after the vaccine is rolled out. But it needs to be a combination of both the vaccines and, you know, social distancing and all these different things. So, you know, the longer it takes, the more lives will be uh, lost, the more people will get sick, the more costs there will be to society, and the longer we have to do all these different things. Dr. Bruce Y. Lee 
is a professor of health policy and management at the City University of New York. Did You Wash Your Hands is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. WABE's managing editor is Alex Helmick. Scott Wolfel is chief content officer. You can reach us at washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app. That's also where you can leave us a rating and a review. That really helps other people find the show. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. The world is full of mysteries. Are ghosts real? Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary. But when you donate to WABE, you know where your money is going. Your gift supports the journalism that keeps you informed and the programs that pull back the curtain on complicated stories. Help us make the world less mysterious. Become a member now. Go online to wabe.org slash donate. And thanks.